the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Philemon. often grace and peace. These are the common Greek and Hebrew greetings. Charis in the Greek for grace and shalom in the Hebrew for peace. And it's always in that order, just like grace and truth appears in your New Testament in that order. It's never truth and grace and it's never peace and grace. You can't have peace or truth until you first have grace. Grace always takes the lead. When you know the grace of God, then you know the peace of God and you can know the truth of God. Pastor Gary reminds us today that grace always comes first. It comes before truth, and it comes before peace. We can't know peace truly until we have come to understand the grace God shows to us. His grace covers over all our sin and paves the way for us to be in a relationship with Him. And it is our relationship with God that gives us peace. God is greater. God is stronger. God is wiser. And God is in control. And because you are His, you are secure, no matter what tries to threaten your peace. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Philemon, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. As it relates to politics and government, we can either make a difference, you know, even in our own country, by exercising the vote or being a part of running for office so we can influence it from within. We're influencing it from within or from without, but we need to exercise our Christian values as part of influencing our culture because in the 1800s, a guy like William Wilberforce, and you have guys like Charles Haddon Spurgeon who were preaching against the evils of slavery, and then it translates later into American culture and Lincoln and, and all that happened, but it was really, you know, the Quakers, and it was, it was even Christianity in America that turned the tide against slavery. So I share all this because um, as much as, you know, our hearts hopefully are, are gripped with the evil of slavery, it, it's also Christianity that became the impetus and the reason for the abolition of slavery, uh, really, uh, um, in, insofar as um, it, we've been able to touch different parts of the world uh, through, through our, our relationship with Christ. And so equality is a big theme in the Bible. You know that, and in fact, Paul would write in Galatians, you don't need to turn there, but Galatians 3, uh, 26, he says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, Gentile, neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, Male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And he adds, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we're all heirs, we're all equal, we're all valued in God's eyes. And even though slavery was a predominant thing in the first century Roman Empire, you might wish for the Bible to just condemn it more than it does. But, but what, what began to happen was Christianity unraveled it from within because as people uh, got saved, they saw the evil of it. And, and so even though the Bible doesn't often preach hard against it, what it says is you, when you become a Christian, your eyes will be open to what's wrong in your world. And you'll begin to change things uh, because of your own conviction and values. And, and so up until that happens, often what we see in the Bible as it relates to slavery in the first century is, as a Christian, then, if you find yourself as a slave, you've got to make the best of your situation. And if you find yourself as a slave owner, you, you better come to grips with the fact that this is the wrong treatment of another human being. And you're going to find in this letter here that Paul challenges Philemon. He's going to say, now listen, as far as equality goes, you've got a new brother now. Because Onesimus is going to get saved when he visits Paul. And so Paul's going to send him back. He says, I want you to consider Onesimus no longer as a slave. You know, don't be a slave owner. And in fact, he says, I want you to consider him now as a dear brother. Because Christianity levels the playing field and is the great equalizer. By the way, uh, one of our great Christmas carols that we often sing is O Holy Night. And O Holy Night was first written in 1847 in French. And in 1855, it was translated into English by a guy by the name of John Sullivan Dwight. And uh, Dwight, in the third verse of O Holy Night, as we sing it every Christmas time, you, you, you might have missed, if, you, if, you, if you're not careful, the language, because Dwight was an, uh, a strict abolitionist, and so in penning the, the song and translating it into English, in verse 3, the chorus goes like this, truly he taught us, that's the Lord, to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. With all our hearts, we praise his holy name. And that was even before the Civil War. It was 1855 when that hymn was, was first translated into English. And Dwight took a little liberty with the French to make, it more, to, to make it stronger against slavery. But just talking about how in Christ, the slave is our brother. And, and may he break the chains of, of slavery as, as we pray for all oppression to cease. Okay. The other theme is forgiveness. It's equality and it's about forgiveness. Because Onesimus has done wrong in that he has stolen from Philemon. And, and at least insofar as the laws of first century go, he did wrong in running away. We understand why he would run away, but insofar as the laws of, at the time, he ran away and he stole from Philemon. So Paul is going to address with Onesimus the need to ask for forgiveness, and he's going to address with Philemon the need to forgive. Forgive this guy. Take him back. Love him. Treat him as a brother, not as a slave. So these are the two great themes of the book of Philemon. Now, when we get through it, again, it's only 25 verses. Don't tune out because 
at the end, I want to I make two applications that I think are very important for us to understand about the book of Philemon. So when we get to verse 25, don't be like, oh, he's going to let us out early. No, not in your life. <laughs> I did it like one time, you know, like weeks ago. So, you know, okay. So here we go. Verse 1. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus... Notice he's a prisoner in Rome, but he knows it's not really Rome I'm a prisoner to. I'm a voluntary prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." Now, by the way, interestingly, Paul writes 13 different epistles. Nine out of the 13 times, he opens up the epistle by talking about how he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He does not assert his apostolic authority in this letter. I mean, he's going to infer it a little further down when he says, you know, I could make you do this if I wanted to, but I'm not. I'm going to suggest that you take him back and love him. But he opens this letter not as Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, but Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, because he's going to appeal to Philemon on the basis of Paul having a heavy heart, not a heavy hand. Paul's coming across to him as a fellow brother saying, listen, as a brother, I want you to do something. I'm going to ask you a big favor as it relates to Onesimus here. I'm going to ask you a big favor here. So he comes across with a heavy heart, not with a heavy hand. Doesn't assert his apostolic authority, not at the, be- not at the beginning here. And he addresses this to Philemon. He calls him a dear friend, a fellow worker. And verse 2, to Aphia. Now you can circle that name. It's a woman. He says our, our sister. And most Bible scholars believe that she is Philemon's wife. We don't know for sure, but that's what most believe. And that Archippus, somebody else mentioned in the, in the salutation here, is probably Philemon's son. And, and Archippus is also mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. And it is likely that he's a leader in the church at Colossae to some degree. Because in Colossians chapter 4 verse 17... Paul says about Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Okay, that coupled with how Archippus is mentioned here in Philemon verse 2 as our fellow soldier, it's an indication that he's also in ministry of some kind. And, And to the church that meets in your home. Now, the early Christian church did not have a building. Okay, now we're talking those who, you know, were, were Jews who believed in Jesus and those who were Gentiles who believed in Jesus. Okay, well, Gentiles can't go into a strict Orthodox synagogue, so they're, they're going to have to start to build churches. And as, and as the early church began to grow, they would eventually have buildings, have churches to have worship services in. But for the first roughly uh, three centuries, two and a half centuries or so, uh, there were no church buildings. Uh, Not until about 250 AD do we have a record of the first Christian church buildings. So in the first uh, nearly three centuries, the early church would meet in homes. That is not a pattern. I know some people are like, you know, the, the most purest, pristine form of church is just home church. Not really. Um, that's, that's how it was out of necessity for the first few centuries. But then from, from year 250 AD on, you see church buildings springing up as a place of common worship. But at the moment, the church of Colossae is meeting in, their, in Philemon's home. 
And, and so he addresses them at the beginning of this letter, and he adds in verse 3 his common greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's often grace and peace. These are the common Greek and Hebrew greetings. Charis in the Greek for grace, and shalom in the Hebrew for peace. And it's always in that order, just like grace and truth appears in your New Testament in that order. It's never truth and grace, and it's never peace and grace. You can't have peace or truth until you first have grace. Grace always takes the lead. When you know the grace of God, then you know the peace of God, and you can know the truth of God. But grace always takes the lead. And he says in verse 4 to them, he says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, and that is the word agape, the highest, most supreme kind of love, and your love for all the saints. Now, Paul knows what he's doing here, okay? He, he's not manipulating, but, but he, he is buttering them up for some hard truth, because you ever read a letter and, and, you, and you go, oh, oh, this is so cool, this is from a friend of mine, and you're reading it, but you don't understand how heavy the content is until you get further into the letter. That's what's going to happen here, because Paul's going to say, by the way, you're a runaway slave, I know where he is, he's been with me, I've led him to Christ, I'm sending him back. And so Philemon hasn't gotten to this part yet, so what Paul's doing is he's like, hey, Phil, listen, I've heard about your faith and your love for all the saints. For all the saints. Just remember that. Your reputation for your faith and love. Oh man, you are a man of love. Did I tell you that you're a man of love? You love everybody. You love every, all the saints. All the saints. Because what he's going to say is, I got a saint I'm sending back to you. <laughs> saint Onesimus. I hope you're going to love him like you love all the other saints. You're known for your love, bro. Keep it up. And he says in verse 6, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Now, boy, that would make for a great sermon to preach there. I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith. And in fact, most Bible translations, New King James, ESV, talk about sharing your faith. But it's actually uh, koinonia pistos, meaning uh, the fellowship of the faith. It's not talking about evangelism here, sharing your faith, sharing the gospel, although I hope that we're doing that. But what he's really saying here is, I hope that when you get together and you have fellowship in the faith with other believers, that you count your blessings and you recognize all the good things that you have in Christ. That's really the literal translation of the Greek here. When you get together and you experience fellowship in the faith, When you have opportunity to gather together with one another as fellow believers, sharing your common faith, in other words, so not not like evangelizing sharing your faith, but getting together and just sharing with each other how good your faith is and discussing how good God is. He says, I want you to make sure that you have this full understanding of everything good that we have in Christ. Count your blessings. Man, be thankful for all that you have in Christ. Man, God is good. That's what he's saying here. Verse 7, he says, your love, keeps going back to this whole theme. You're such a loving guy, Phil. Your love, again, it's agape, has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. 
And I love that word refresh. In the original Greek, it's uh, anapano, and the prefix ana means repetitive, and pano means to pause. The literal definition for refresh means repetitive pausing. Just like, just pause. Just put, it, put life on pause. We need to sometimes just put life on pause that we might be refreshed. And so he, he's commending Philemon here. He says, your, your love has given me great joy and encouragement. You, you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. I mean, I mean you know, he's, he's, not, he's not pouring it on thick just to flatter Philemon, but, but, he, but he's saying, listen, this is your reputation. This is what you're, you're known for. By the way, if people had to write down what you're known for, you know, what would they say? So this is very challenging to us, that some of the first things that come to Paul's mind concerning Philemon's reputation is he's a man of faith and he's a man of love, he's a man of encouragement, he refreshes people, I mean, you know, just a great guy to want to be around. And then he adds here in verse 8, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do whatever you ought to do, this is where he says, you know, I, I could assert my apostolic authority here, I could. You know, he he writes it that way. Don't you love, you know, I could, I could order you to do this, but forget I just said that. Yet he says in verse nine, I appeal to you. You know, I appeal, I want you to do this yourself. Not because I say so. I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, maybe he's tugging on his heartstrings there. You know, I'm old. I'm in jail. All right? Doesn't get much worse than that. I'm old and in jail. So I'm appealing to you with love. I appeal to you, verse 10, for my son Onesimus. Now he names him in the letter. And Philemon's probably like, what? You know where Onesimus is? Now, again, this is not a biological son of Paul's. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus because he's like a spiritual dad to Onesimus, and then he adds, who became my son while I was in chains. So you can underline that in your Bibles. What that means is I led him to Christ. He became my son while I was in chains here in Rome. I led him to Christ. So your runaway slave who stole from you is now a believer. He accepted Christ. He became my son while I was in chains. And he said in verse 11, "Formerly, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now, this is a play on words because the name Onesimus in the Greek means useful. So, he, so he's like, he's, he, he wasn't useful to you compared to his use now for the kingdom's sake. And so he's, he's, it's a play on words, the, the definition of Onesimus' name. He says, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And he says in verse 12, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I'm sending him back. Now again, you know, why wouldn't Paul just say, okay, you've gained your freedom and now you're free in Christ. You know, don't go back to Philemon because he wants Onesimus to face the music. You got to make restitution here and you got you to do what's right because now that you're a believer, Onesimus, you're going to have to live by a different code. And that's true for all of us. Before you become a believer, you and I can get away with a lot of things, just like the world does, because it lives by a different system, a different value system, a different code of honor. Once you become a Christian, 
you now live by a completely different code of honor. And you have to do some things right that previously maybe we weren't even convicted about. And doing things that are right as a Christian are not always easy either. You know, to own up to something, to take responsibility for something. So many people in our culture these days don't want to take responsibility for anything. They want to blame everybody. They don't want to own anything these days. You know, well, you know, I didn't get enough hugs. That's the way I am. Really? Well, you know, why don't you own up to it? Well, you know, it was because of this. It was because of that. And we want to blame everybody and everything we can to justify ourselves. But when you become a Christian, you have to realize, okay, there might have been some things that happened in my life, but I need to take responsibility in so much as it depends on me and own some stuff. This is the reason why Paul is sending Onesimus back. You need to face the music. You need to own up to some of the things you've done, and you need to make it right. I'm going to talk more about this at the end, but just check that away for the moment. And he says in verse 13, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. You know, if I had my preference, I would have just kept him with me. He's, he's of good service to me. But he says, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. So again, do you see how he's appealing to Philemon as a brother, not just asserting his authority here. He's like, yeah, I, I'm wanting you to, to respond to Onesimus with a heart that is motivated spontaneously and not just uh, because I say so. I don't want you to feel forced here. I want you to do the right thing out of love. And he adds in verse 15, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. Okay, but now notice, but no longer as a slave. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. As a dear brother. Again, Christianity is the great equalizer. He says to Philemon, I'm going to challenge you. I'm sending Onesimus back. I do not want you to put him in chains again. I'm appealing to you as a brother in Christ. I could order you to do this, but please as a friend. You're known for love. You're known for loving all the saints. You're known for faith and encouragement. Please, please, I don't want you to be forced in doing this, but I'm appealing to you on the basis of your faith in Christ as a fellow believer in Christ with you. I want you to take Onesimus back. Don't put him in chains again. Don't put him in chains. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, consider him as a dear brother, as a dear brother. And he says, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So again, he's like, this is Galatians 3.28, you know, neither Jew nor slave, uh, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, we were all one in Christ. He says, "I, I want you to take him in as a dear brother. He uses that term brother twice there in verse 16. And then in verse 17, he says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And then he adds in verse 18, here's here's where we get the inference that he has stolen from Philemon, because he says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. He says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. And then I love this, not to mention that you owe me your very self which is probably an indication that Paul led Philemon to Christ too. And so he kind of works that in there. So he's like, you know, listen, 
I want you to take him back. I want you to treat him like a brother. You know, I, I, if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. I'll pay it back. By the way, not to mention that you owe me, right? You owe me your very life. Writing letters have become sort of an outdated art in today's culture. But this letter from Paul to Philemon gives you an inside look into some relationships that were strained. You have a runaway slave, a respected leader in a city, and a missionary doing the work of telling people about Jesus. But when you look deeper into the heart of this letter, you realize it's a story about you, a runaway slave. It's about Jesus, a man telling people about the works of God and how Jesus intercedes to the Father on your behalf. If you're willing to see it, God has a message for you in this. He wants to redeem you and bring you to His Father. What a beautiful picture of redemption this is. So what about you? Have you accepted that offer of Jesus freeing you from slavery? If not, we'd like for you to contact us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We want to know where you're at and if you're wrestling with questions about God and faith. In addition to getting in touch with us over email, we encourage you to look for resources on our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There are various ministries that might help you get plugged in right where you're at. We look forward to connecting with you again here on Cornerstone Connection. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.